Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to episode 50 of the Build My Online Podcast. I am your host, Terry. And this week, I've got Tim Conley over at Foolish Adventure for the Milestone 50th episode this week. And we're going to talk about how to find the right business mentor. And so this is a topic I haven't really heard anyone cover uh, kind of in the podcasting world and definitely in the e-commerce world. And so kind of in terms of mindset and development, uh, this episode will be very different than what we usually talk about. And I hope you like it. But before we get into this week's episode, we also have have a new iTunes review from listener Ron So over in Canada. He says, great interview style podcast where Terry and his guests talk about anything related to starting an online store. Topics are very relevant and Terry has the amazing ability to dig in deep into the secrets of e-commerce success. So awesome. Thanks so much, Ron. So that's something I get a lot uh, in terms of my questioning and how I can get into kind of your guys' mind and know what you guys are thinking. So I'll probably write a blog post about that uh, sometime in the future. And so uh, one thing before we start, quick update on the hashtag Bala Passport Wallet I've been working on. Uh, if you haven't seen the blog post on how I got this made, uh, do check it out in the blog section on buildmyonlinestore.com. So I just ordered the first batch of the product with my supplier, and I'll be sending them out with the pre-order batch around early July. So this, of course, will all be detailed into part two of the blog post, and it'll include things like putting up the sales page I use for pre-orders, uh, what shopping cart system I use, collecting feedback from friends and family, calculating my pricing, margins, and costs. So do sign up for the mailing list to get updates so you don't miss this. And with that being said, let's get into this week's episode. Today, I got my buddy Tim Conley from Foolish Adventure to join us this week to talk about business mentorship. So, Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, Terry. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So, what was kind of real quick your life before Foolish Adventure and kind of how'd you learn the whole marketing side of things? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's go back a few years. <laughs> like, we need one of those uh, uh, flashback se- sequences, <laughs> you know, the little sound. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, going back a- after the the military went I went to university and from there got into the internet as a designer and started working on uh, websites and stuff and a buddy of mine we loved traveling the world so we decided since since there were so many people these 20 somethings and even teenagers becoming millionaires overnight by writing a business plan on a napkin we decided we were going to do the same thing. We we're going to come up with our own dot com thing and we were going to rule the world and become ultra rich. But we were going to do it through international tourism. We wanted to take people on tours around the world in the manner that we liked to travel. So somewhere between the backpacker living the local lifestyle and a little more luxury, like somewhere in, in the middle there, but not staying in any international hotels or anything like only local places you know, and we'd stayed in some really great places that were local so this is this was the intent and we started building this up and we had the website we had 
a guide. We had nine guides from around the world who were going to take people on tours. And we, you know, like we had everything except for customers. And did you guys talk to any before you guys had this idea? Or you? No, no. <laughs> No, we were like, this is awesome. This is an awesome idea. We knew there was a business here because there were tour companies that were similar. Most were on the luxury end. And then you had like these kind of low end mini adventures, but everything was like a five day thing and stuff like that. And we were going to do, uh, have longer trips available for people who actually had that uh, time available and we'd, we would have some short ones too. But the big thing was, is we didn't know how to get a customer. We didn't know how to attract people. We didn't know how to do any of that. And so of course the business failed because we couldn't get a customer. We didn't know how. That set me on a journey of figuring out how to do that because I, I really didn't understand it. I really didn't know how to get people to uh, find you, become interested in you, and then hand you their money. You know, kind of just to interject, for me, that's the one thing I've learned this past year too, in terms of, I think that's probably the most important thing. <laughs> and, I think, and I think the thing that scales your business the most, right? It's just, all, all that matters is your customers in the end, really. Well, if you don't have a customer, you don't have a business. I, I learned that back in the dot-com days, and that put me on this journey of, well, what do I need to know? I, I need to know how to sell and I need to know how to market. So I went out and did sales training classes. I went through some uh, companies that had some sales training programs. I read everything I possibly could on marketing, going back as all the way back to like 20th century, uh, reading everything I possibly could on marketing and how to influence people to get them to give me their money. And I wasn't being all altruistic or anything back there. Back then, I wanted to eat. <laughs> you know, all I cared about at the time, I wasn't all that concerned about even providing value. All I want to know is how do I get people to buy my stuff? Did you find that to be the wrong mindset going into that or...? No, no, I don't. I don't think so. I, I think later, as I matured and realized that to have a bigger impact in your marketplace, value has to come first, and then the sale, uh, the marketing, and the sales. Uh, the value had to be first. But at, at that time, if you need to make money now, sales is the thing that's going to do it. If you need to pay the rent and you need to put food on the table, sell something. <laughs> exactly. All right. And so you're you're looking for. You know, you're into this marketing world. You're kind of getting your ropes around the whole sales mindset. And where did you go next? Well, from from there, I was getting asked by people that I knew that they were like, "Hey, you know, you failed. So how how do we not do what you did? Like, what were some of the mistakes?" And so that was the beginning of my consulting career. I was kind of like the one eyed one eyed man in the land of the blind. You know that that uh, old saying because I would study direct response marketing every day at night in a couple hours a night i would write sales letters by hand i would do all this stuff and then i would practice on real businesses which were my friends businesses <laughs> uh, so you would send them mailers and all this kind of stuff or? yeah well i would no i would do like ads for them i would i would craft some of their marketing and a lot of my clients were still doing uh, they still had their web design firms and so i started doing marketing as uh, kind of like sold through their companies and i did more of my consulting through uh, through other people's uh, businesses 
because they they had the customers I needed. They already had them. And so I just brought forth this knowledge that they had no clue even existed. And they were great designers. They knew how to make pretty things, but they had no idea how to actually do marketing. And all I knew was what I what I read and I put it into practice in their, in their on their customers. And so why did you pick direct response marketing as kind of the thing to master? Well, it ma- it made sense to me because you, you got to remember, I, I went through this phase. It was really disastrous for me when when I failed because I had a brand new baby girl at the time and we left we had we had rent out our house to uh, to an, another professional couple and we moved into this tiny crappy apartment in not a nice part of town it was it was disastrous and image the image you know like branding and image marketing and stuff that's really popular and, you know Wyden and Kennedy is in Portland Oregon so so like there's a huge impact in that in that world where everybody's kind of focused on image. And for me, I was like, man, I just need customers. I need people to pay me money. And that's that desperation led me to direct response because it was the only one that promised if you do these things, people will give you money. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of kind of where the other school of thought is kind of you're just yelling louder and louder right and well yeah hoping people come back as uh, seth godin calls it the in- interruption marketing you know you're trying to interrupt somebody so that they pay attention to your message and and even there you're not asking anyone to do anything you're not saying go to the store and buy my stuff don't go uh, you know it's not go to the store buy these nikes it's hey be like mike you know just do it you know things like that those were the things that everyone around me was trying to emulate and and so when I came out and said hey you know if you do these things right here you'll get customers and they're like I don't buy it like okay let's just try it out they did and it worked and so then I started getting more customers that way how what this has to do with mentorship is my first mentors were books these guys who had written these amazing marketing books and sales books I've never met any of them Uh, some of them were dead but it didn't matter. They mentored me through a time when I didn't have anywhere else to go for this kind of knowledge. So what were the first three books that you read that you went like, wow, you just had a big paradigm shift after reading it? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I, I don't remember. Uh, putting it in context, I had stacks of books from the library. Yeah, and I couldn't buy them. I couldn't buy the books. I didn't have any money. So so I got them from the library and and I, I know I read like uh, Caples and uh, Schwartz and Sugarman. I, I think those three guys were probably the biggest impact on direct response. Uh, Jay Abraham was one of the early people that I stumbled on and that led me to Dan Kennedy's stuff and and so, so uh, Jay Abraham's stuff got me to believe that I had the capacity to actually do consulting and that that put me on the consulting career so that that was a major impact in in my life what was cool is that shortly after I discovered Jay Abraham I got an opportunity to speak with him on a call he he was doing some sort of free call and he was doing Q&As after and I got to spend oh gosh probably 15 20 minutes 
talking to him, asking questions, and and he gave me some amazing advice that I turned around, implemented, and landed uh, my first client that paid me a hundred bucks an hour. Nice. nice. All right, so before we get into that, <laughs> you know, for, for for the people who don't know who Jay Abraham and Dan Kennedy are, you can you just give them a quick uh, intro? Uh, oh, me? Uh, a quick one? I don't know if I can do quick. Uh, <laughs> or just what what field are they in? I guess. Okay, uh, Jay Abraham is. A, was a consultant and uh, did a lot of training uh, for people who wanted to become a consultant and did a lot of training on sales and marketing, but he's expanded you know, far beyond that. He covers all sorts of things. And most of it's very motivational. Not, not so much that it's like, here's how you do X. It's, did you know you have the capacity already inside you to do X? That was that was something I truly needed because I didn't know I could do what I could do. And Dan Kennedy, direct response guy, he uh, he's done marketing, copywriting, uh, speaking, and has trained on all those things. And all those things have, uh, I've studied all of his early stuff and and even some of his more recent things. But that was a huge impact on me. And so you got your first client at $100 an hour, and you know how did that come about? Through through a little networking, I'd already been networking and stuff, and made friends with with a guy. The, the tech industry at that time was really small in Portland, so it was really easy to get to know like everybody in in web design and in software. You could get to know a lot of people in that industry really fast, and there was a a startup that they couldn't get people to buy their product. And that, that was something that I kind of got good at was all these software guys, these developers, they created cool products because they thought they were cool and they were going through the same process as me. I didn't know how to get customers, right? So they they didn't know how to get customers. They built something cool without finding out if there was a market for it. I think it still happens. It still happens a lot, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, all the all the time, all the uh, all the time. It still it still happens. The lean the lean startup movements really helping to alleviate some of that. But back then it was it was the way you did things. I have a cool idea. I'm gonna build it, and then I have to find someone to buy it. And I met a guy. He introduced me to the CEO, and the CEO said, if you can get us into these markets, and, and it was crazy. It was customers they wanted was Nike, Adidas, and one, and and uh, Columbia Sportswear, all, all the big clothing uh, uh, manufacturers up in the Northwest. They wanted in. And... I created a program, I did a lot of research, and I said, here's what you need to do. And I got them into a very, very small conference. It wasn't a conference, like an expo, where there were all these materials being shown locally in Portland. And all they had to do was spend, I think, like a couple thousand dollars. That got them introduced to those uh, to those big players immediately put them in talks with getting their enterprise software uh, used by those companies it was awesome and and that like made my like made my name right there like hey this guy he's he's a genius look he did this one little thing and it got us this that was kind of like my big break after doing all this study about sales and all this study about marketing that's that's what it led to was me being known as a guy who could break you into a new 
into a new market. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. And so, and so I know uh, from other podcasts, one of your big mentors was Joe Polish, right? So how did you uh, find him? Joe came about much later. I had moved uh, to uh, to Phoenix, Arizona from, from Portland, got tired of the rain. My wife and I were sick of it, so we were going to go move into the desert. After getting here, I ended up starting a swimming pool company because you know, housing was just going crazy. Pools were being built left and right. I just saw it as a growth a growth market and it costs like zero to get into it. Uh, you know, a little bit of money, but basically you could get into this business dirt cheap. And I invested in that and built this company because uh, I'm always trying to learn new things. And I was trying to figure out like, well, how can I do better marketing for this company? How can I do better direct response? It would be nice to have a shortcut if someone else has already done something like this. And I kept hearing this guy talking back and forth with Dan on these uh, tapes that of Dan Kennedy's, of all, all kinds of uh, things like copywriting seminars and everything. And there's this guy, Joe, who's just cracking up uh, everybody in the room. He's cracking jokes and Dan Kennedy's picking on him. And in s- somewhere in there, I hear he lives in Phoenix. I'm like, oh, that guy sounds pretty cool, and th- and you can hear the progress from the early these early tapes of Dan Kennedy's of this guy just getting started. He's some carpet cleaner dude, and then years later, in some of them, you can hear that he's now he's a well-known marketer, and so I got to hear the transition in little sound bites of this dude in, the, in Dan Kennedy's audience, and so I decided to search him out. Found out he was in Tempe, Arizona. I was living in Tempe, Arizona. I'm like, hey. And that's awesome. Decided I was going to go to one of his seminars and paid, I think, the thousand dollars or whatever to go to one of his seminars, introduced myself to him, told him what I was doing, what what I was trying to accomplish. And that's how I got to meet Joe Polish. Nice. So you went to one of his events and then that's kind of how you started there too, right? Yeah. Yep. And I remember you mentioning that you started cleaning his pools or what's the story behind that? Okay. So, so I had my swimming pool company and, and you know, that's, that was the pretense of going to his stuff, really getting to know the guy. And I paid a lot of money to join up on his platinum program, which really wasn't targeted to me or my industry or anything. It was for carpet cleaners, but I joined it anyways, not to be attending, but to essentially pay entry fee to get to hang out with Joe. And in that, I pitch him on my pool a company. And so I decided instead of having any of my techs cleaning Joe's pool, I would personally go clean it. I would personally maintain his pool, which was amazing to do because I would show up in the morning and Joe would be like, hey, come on in, let's uh, let's sit down. I'd, I'd make sure everything was done. And then he would invite me in while he's having breakfast, offer me breakfast. But I'm like, dude, I already woke up like an hour before this to get here. <laughs> so, you, and I, I would come, <laughs> so you cleaned his pool way early before he even woke up. Right, right. So, <laughs> so I would clean his pool and he would be waking up and he would invite me into, uh, into, into the house. We'd sit down at, at his uh, table and we'd just talk marketing stuff. We'd talk about his business, what, what he was accomplishing, what he was trying to accomplish. He'd get on the phone with people like Dan Kennedy and have it on speakerphone and like, Basically, his whole Rolodex, he, uh, we would sit there and have these conversations with these amazing people that, that Joe knows. And that was the main reason I wanted to be connected with Joe was because Joe could teach me a ton about marketing, but also show me how to connect myself with, with amazing people. Mm-hmm. I see. And so how did he 
first react when you showed up to his house early to clean the pool because well he knew he, he knew you know <laughs> I, i'm like i'll do it myself like i'll personally come over and do it and and by the time that happened joe and i had already known each other for uh, for a while before i actually even offered my company services to him Be, uh, i didn't do it I, I just i wanted to stay away from hey you know i'll i'll do stuff for you but i offered it to him he's like awesome you know then i said oh i'm not going to send a tech there i'm going to do it personally one to make sure everything is done amazing right everything had to be perfect and and I did. I made sure everything was perfect when I was there. Yeah, it's interesting because because I think a lot of people when they find mentors, they go with this attitude of what can I get, right? But on the other side, you know, not everyone's always wants to deal with people like this, right? No, they don't. They they clearly don't want to deal with people who are in it for themselves. And and I still t I say this to this day. I still owe Joe. I paid Joe uh, what I feel like, uh, a lot of money. But what I got from Joe was worth so much more. That even to this day, I still say, I owe Joe. If Joe asks for a favor, I'm going to give it flat out. I'm going to do, uh, do what I can to help him out anytime he ever asks for it. And, and even then, without him asking, I've, in the past, I've just tried to do things for him just to show how much gratitude I really had for what he did for me and the people he introduced me to and all uh, like it, it was an amazing opportunity that very few people get years later now and i'm still super thankful for it i guess you know what's the most important thing you learned from him you know from those days you guys were sharing breakfast and you know just talking in his living room don't be afraid to meet people uh, so so a lot of people meet joe and he see he seems like this gregarious outgoing guy and he is but it's self-created. He uh, he's actually uh, an introvert. He would rather not talk to people uh, that he doesn't know. He would rather not do it. But he's trained himself to actually go out and talk to people. And he will get himself backstage at different things. If he wants to meet someone, he does. And he does whatever he possibly can to go meet that person. And that was one of the main things he uh, that he taught me was... Yeah, don't don't be afraid. These are just regular people. They may be super rich. They may be famous. They may be whatever. And everybody treats them like that. But he's like, if you go up there and you treat them like a regular human being uh, and you are nice and you're not trying to get something from them. It's like, it's amazing who you can meet. Yeah, it's always like, I guess it's like the celebrity thing where if you just talk to them like a normal person. They're like, oh, wow, no one's ever done this to me for in a long time, right? Right, right. Because <laughs> most people come up, hey, can I get your autograph or can I get a picture with you? And, and Joe does the whole picture thing, uh, but he's like crafted it in such a way that uh, he, he gets, uh, gets them to like him first before he ever goes to, hey, can I get a picture with you? And, and it's an art. It's taken him a long time to get that, that kind of skill. But that was the main thing that, that he taught me was don't be afraid of other human beings. Yeah, I think on his podcast, I Love Marketing, I think he talked about how he got connected with Richard Branson and how he donated through his charity first before he even got to meet him and kind of did all this work beforehand. Well, yeah. Uh, so he, uh, he went to a charity dinner that Richard Branson was putting on. And I, I can't remember how much it was to attend the charity dinner, 
uh, and I don't even know if he's ever made it public, so I guess I, so I won't say it just in case he never made it public. But he he paid to attend this charity dinner. Definitely skipped all protocol and all etiquette because he maneuvered himself to sit right down next to Richard Branson. Because because that's why he was there. He had he knew that if he could do something amazing for Richard. And the only way he was going to be able to do that for him was to sit down right next to him. That's crazy because these events have assigned seatings and... A lot of times, <laughs> yes. Yes. He did some uh, machinations that got him right next to right next to Richard. And that's when Joe Polish introduced Richard Branson to direct response marketing. And, that, uh, and, and it was all geared towards Virgin Unite. He said, and and all he said was, here's what I could do for Virgin Unite. What can I give to you? What can I give? Never, hey, Richard, what can you do for me? It was, it's the whole relationship started with him saying, what can I give you? I've already shown you I'm willing to pay to sit down at the table to be next to you. Showing you that I'm I'm a player. I am someone who can get things done. And, and then offered uh, his services. And a lot of people, when they ask me about, oh, you know, how do I get a mentor? It's like, offer your services. Be a helpful hand to the person you want mentoring you. Because you can't, you can't afford to pay them. Like, there's no way he could, Joe could, uh, could ever come up with enough money that would get uh, Richard to go, yeah, I'll sit down and men- do something for you, right? Ne- never going to happen. Yeah. But he figured out that Virgin United needed more donors and more I guess, visibility for the program, right? And I don't know, like, all the details, and, and, and I don't want to speak on Joe's behalf on, on those kind of things. The process is what's really important. How you go about getting someone that you want to be a mentor, and it always starts with what can you give them? What, what are you willing to do? And so when people hear that I was willing to go clean Joe's pool, instead of sending over one of my technicians who would have done an amazing job, I went and did it personally. And why? Because one, I knew I could give, I could make sure everything was amazing. Two, by being there and being of service to Joe, I could. I, I got invited to sit down at his table and be on conference calls, which I never asked for. Wow, that's that's awesome to sit in a call with him and Dan Kennedy and all these guys and just to yeah, absorb it, it all it, in. And <laughs> I, every once in a while, I get to put in my own two cents on on someone's project, and so. So it was fun. It was it was an amazing time and it was amazing experience. And I got all that by, you know, just just being of service. Mm-hmm. And so for someone who's, you know, just starting out, they're not sure what service they can offer someone. I mean, where do you even start with that? What what does a person need? I heard a story of one guy was sitting at a table with some serious ballers. The one guy was saying he's having trouble just getting a a website up. You know, he's like, you know, like all my staff's busy and I'm trying to go through this person, this designer to get it done. It's like taking forever. And the guy had just learned how to install and set up a WordPress site for himself. That's all he knew. All right. He wasn't a marketer. He wasn't wasn't anything yet. But that he knew that thing. He'd just done it. And he turned to the guy and he said, hey, I just learned how to do this. I will do it for you for free. That put him on the path of accomplishing some amazing things with these ballers, these guys who are serious players in business. And and why? Because the one thing people who are successful understand completely is finding people who can get stuff done 
is really rare. Most people need someone to hold their hand and get them to accomplish it and, and move them along, motivate them. What they need is people in their life that can just get it done. It's like, hey, I, I need a website online. I can get that done. You don't have to do anything other than give me access to your hosting and it's done. It's as, sometimes it's as simple as that. As long as you're willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done without them needing to handhold you or give you advice on how to accomplish it. Because if, the, if, you, if you're doing that, you're no better than any employee that they could possibly have. And then you're not offering them any real value that they couldn't already get. One of the people that I that I got introduced to was Evan Pagan. He said at one of, at an event that he put on, he said one of the things that they do with brand new people is they they make them go do little tasks. Here's something that you we need done. Go do it. And it could be something. I think one of the examples was go get your own business cards made. And and I know that there's other other people in out there that do these things too. It's like here, just go get this accomplished. Well, how do I get it paid for? How do I do, how, you know, all these questions that somebody just doesn't know the answer to. They don't know your policies and procedures, right? They don't know any of that. But the job is just get it done. Just just do this little task, a simple task. And, and if you're incapable of going through, uh, figuring out how to accomplish it, whether that's finding the person to uh, uh, authorize the the payment or or whatever like in the company if you're not capable of doing those uh, those maneuvering of your own then you're probably not the best fit for the company because you're not you're not someone who can just get something done yeah like if you can't nav navigate to figure out this little thing you know how can I trust you with something bigger right right and so let's go back to your story a little bit so you know you're still with Joe you're learning a ton of stuff under him you know when did you become a pool cleaner to kind of a full-time marketer kind of like Joe himself well I had already been a full-time marketer I was a consultant I, I even brought some of my consulting clients with me I, I just went virtual with them and continued consulting and even through the whole time I had my pool company I was still consulting I still had consulting clients, which got really tough to do when the pool company essentially took over my life and was growing rapidly. So it was tough still doing some of the consulting work that I was doing, but that was really the main reason I wanted connected with Joe was to learn more about uh, what he did and, and incorporate it into my own consulting. The, the, pool, the, the stuff that I learned and could implement in the pool company was just a bonus, and, and which was, it turned out to be a very lucrative bonus for me. Mm -hmm. I see, I see. And you ended up selling your pool company, right? I remember. Yeah, yeah, so, so I built the company up to where it was, at one point was doing about, oh, a, a little over 600,000 a year, I think, with a very large profit margin, which is pretty rare. And I had a large profit margin, and so, to sell it in one big chunk, I couldn't find a buyer. Even w though the market was still hot, I couldn't find a buyer for it at that size. And, and I'd gotten kind of miserable running the company. It was taking up a lot of my mental energy. 
And so I just started selling off pieces of the company, laying off employees and, and selling off to other uh, pieces of the company off to other, other pool companies until I got it down to a very small size where it was me in charge of the company. I had a part-time office person and one full-time person out in the field doing pool cleaning. You know, I didn't have the same paycheck at the end of the day, but it was immensely profitable. And I got myself to the point where I could take, oh gosh, was it 10, uh, anywhere from 10 to 12 weeks off per year, but I couldn't do it in like one long consecutive bit. That was the, the one downside. I couldn't take off for like a month without possibly something going wrong. So I had to still be around. I could take off for a week, maybe two, and then I'd have to come back just in case something went wrong and I would be available to fix it. And and so then I eventually just sold off the last of, of that company, which was uh, in 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 terms of the business, it was just a route, and I sold off that route, and I was done. Mm-hmm. And then, so you're doing just uh, all marketing now, right? <laughs> I, I, ju- I just called it kind of semi-retired because I would I only took on like a couple of clients per year, and and even now I still only take on a few clients per year uh, to do their marketing for their company. Uh, that way, I can still do the things I want to do. Uh, there wasn't a proper phrase, you know, uh, for for this at, at the time, you know, and uh, and even now there still really isn't. Uh, like, who, who is someone who only works part time? Are you semi-retired? Are you uh, underemployed? I, I don't know. I don't know what the phrase is, but I work when I want to work, and I and I work on projects that I find very interesting and. And that's it. it. That's that's how I do my my life. Yeah, I mean, clearly, you look at a guy like Richard Branson who can retire, but he's still, you know, he has all these projects he's passionate about, and he has fun doing. It. Yeah, one of the things you, when you said, "What what did you learn from Joe?" One of the other critical things that I learned from Joe was he structured his whole business to support the life that he wanted to live. So he has his genius network mastermind group. I was so uh, happy to be around in the early days and watch him form this. And and he was like, what better life can you possibly have than to get paid to do the thing you would do for free anyways? He's like, I would sit, I would sit in a room with these amazing people for free and talk to them all day long. But what's even better is getting paid to sit in a room with amazing people. Yeah, this is his 25K group, right? <laughs> yes. So he bu- he had structured his whole business. He, he was building up a company that would allow him to live the life that he wanted to live. And that's one of the reasons I wanted out of the pool, comp- uh, the pool business was that I didn't have it really structured the way I wanted it to. And I didn't think it would ever get to the point where I could have the kind of life I wanted from it. And so I just decided I wanted out of it and and out of that investment. And so so I did. I you know, got away from that and then just started spending my time. It's like, well, how, how do I want to spend my time? Well, do I want to be completely booked up with clients like I was when I was in Portland? Uh, no, I don't ever want to go back to that. Uh, I, I want to have just enough clients that I can do amazing work for and that's it, and and be able to do the things I want to do in my life. I see. So, so is it fair to say that Tim Ferriss uh, kind of got this idea from Joe? <laughs> uh, well, no, Joe hadn't ever made like that kind of thing public. They they did actually get to meet and and uh, prom- and he initially promoted uh, 
the four hour work week shortly after it came out. And that's how I got to meet Tim Ferriss was through was through Joe Polish. So uh, amazing stuff at that time. Yeah, because it sounds like Joe figured out the model, but he was the first guy to make it, you know, because it sounds impossible, right? You know, you work on something you like, but get paid for it. But then I guess he was the first one to show you that, hey, you know, you can do this, right? Right. He, you know, he showed me this. This is the way I live my life and I've structured my business to support that. And that's that's what I wanted. Before I met Joe, I was in the process of figuring out how to make my management systems for the pool company mobile. Like I was introducing mobile technology to my technicians, which it was all crap back then. And so in 2004 to through, through 2006, the, the technology just sucked. But I was implementing as much mobile tech as I possibly could into that company because I wanted to be able to manage remotely. I wanted, I wanted a life that I could, I could do from anywhere. I wanted my business to be uh, completely portable. And thankfully, we have that, that kind of technology now. We have the, and it's easy now to, to run a company from anywhere in the world. Uh, at that time, it was tough. I was uh, struggling through trying to implement the technologies uh, because they were weak. And, and also, there was limited uh, capacity for internet, uh, uh, mobile internet, all, all that stuff. It was very limited back then. And, and then when the four hour work week came out, I was like, that's it. That's what I'm, uh, that's what I've been trying to do is, is turn a business that looks kind of like this. Yeah, interesting. And I guess that was kind of like where everything came together for everyone trying to figure this stuff out. I was like, Tim showed everyone, Hey, this is kind of the roadmap to do it. And everyone's like, Oh, it's like, like a paradigm shift for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, and and I I reference back to rich dad poor dad. It's a a bit of a parable, and and it's a simple read, really fast to read. And now it seems kind of trite when people look at it, like oh that's a horrible book. But back when it came out, it was a paradigm shift in the way people thought. It was like because we were starting to see. When that book came out, we, we were already seeing the effects of the 1980s really hitting the corporate world. People were losing jobs left and right. You never knew when you were going to lose your job. If the company wanted a boost in its, uh, in its earnings and, and uh, kind of pump up the stock price, they would lay off some people. You lay off a thousand people, your stock price went up. It's short-term thinking, but you know it worked. Uh, you lay off some people, stock price goes up. And people were finding that there's no security anymore. And that book said, hey, if you get a financial education, you can end up controlling your life. That was a fundamental shift then. The four-hour work week said, if you get a an internet education, if you get a uh, just a small muse business education, you can do this from anywhere in the world. And I think financial education is still important too, because a lot of people still don't get the basics in this. Like, oh god. <laughs> right, right. It, it is. It's still critically important. But unfortunately, people don't like to read that book anymore. It, but if they are in that stage where they don't know that they have the power already inside them, like when I learned from Jay Abraham that I I already could accomplish these things. That's what the four. Uh, that's what Rich Dad Poor Dad said. That's what the four hour work week has said is that you know it's already here it, it's already available for you if you just sit down and get just get just educate yourself for a little bit yeah it's just up to you to make it happen yeah, right exactly. all right and so well, let's go on to your story a little bit more so you know when did you start becoming a mentor yourself kind of uh, throughout the years well it's it it happens on and off like some uh, 
uh, I think a lot of people have this idea that a, men a mentorship is like some sort of formal contract-laden uh, agreement, right? It, it, it's not. It, it's a, a process of someone comes to you, they have a question, and you're able to answer it. Sometimes your mentorship lasts just mere moments. Sometimes it lasts for years. Uh, getting, uh, getting mentored by Joe for several years, amazing time. But... You know, it's time to, you know, you, you move on. You don't want to be a leech on somebody and always trying to get more and more from them. It, uh, at some point, you have to grow up and go on your own. And then over, over time, just people, you, you start showing that you can get things done and people come to you and say, hey, I want to do what you're doing. Can you show me how you get things done? And that's that, that. And so I've had that process over time, and I've mentored uh, who's now a good friend of mine, uh, uh, Johan Woods. Uh, he's been on the show on the Foolish Adventure show a few times, and he does a ton of work uh, with me. I mentored him. He he applied for an internship that I that I did. Uh, oh gosh, almost two years ago, and he applied for that, and the timing wasn't right. But you know, I I wanted to work with him. After a few months, he came back and just started asking me questions, and, and we just sat down and we just started talking for hours on end where I would share how I did my consulting, how I got clients, how I did all these different things. What was awesome about him was that he would listen to what I had to say, he would take copious notes, and then he would go out and actually implement. He would actually do it, and then he would come back and tell me what happened. He would tell me the results. And, and that's what's lacking with most people looking for mentors is that they, will, they won't take action and then they won't report on their uh, results. Mm -hmm. and do you find it funny now that you're kind of, you know, it's, you're in Joe's shoes and kind of Johan's like yourself when you were younger? I find it important to, to pay back. Like Joe with Richard Branson, there's no way he could ever give Richard Branson enough money that would make, uh, make all that Richard's done with him uh, worthwhile. Same thing with me to Joe. There's no way I could give Joe enough money that that it could ever compensate for everything that I got from Joe. So the the only way I can really give back to the magnitude of what I received is to do it for other people. And so you know, you mentioned kind of how you moved on from Joe after some time. When did you decide you know it was the right time or? How did you come to that conclusion? Uh, I, I don't think it ever came. Uh, it, it, I don't think it was like a conscious thing. It was uh, just that I started getting busier and busier, and Joe was getting busier and busier, and I was no longer cleaning his pool because you know I was not in that business anymore. It, it, it was just like a gradual, hey, we went our different uh, separate directions. That, that it, so it wasn't a conscious decision. But yeah, there 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 have been times where I'd get uh, help from certain people in my life, like in the early days when I was getting sales training, I got as much as I could from my sales mentor that I had in Portland, and then I just moved on. You know, it was like, okay, th this is this is it. You know, I've gotten, I've gotten the best of what you're able to give me, and it's time for me to just grow up and go out and use it. Mm -hmm. Kind of just take off the training wheels and ride the bike on your own. Right, right. And so, you know, it sounds when when put that way, as like just hearing myself, it sounds kind of selfish, but it's not. It it's uh, giving. It's it's better for the world for you to grow up and and stop taking from your mentor and go out and uh, be a value producer. And that's what the mentor's hoping you will do. They they want you to leave. They want you to stop uh, taking from them. They want to give you the best they have, and then you go out and make something 
something bigger and better from it. Yeah, I think that's kind of what they all want in the end, right? That you pass on what they taught you rather than, you know, staying at their side the whole time. Right. right. All right, very cool. And, and so, you know, just kind of to wrap things up a little bit. So, you know, what are some signs of kind of like a, a mentor that's not a good fit, you know, because a lot of people start online, you know, you're kind of doing this by yourself and you don't, you're not sure where to go. And, you know, how do you know a mentor is a good fit uh, for what you're looking at? Recently, I had a guy, he, he contacted me and he said, you know, hey, I'm, I've got a bit of runway. So for people who don't know what that is, runway is I've got savings and I can, I can pay my bills for X number of months while I'm building my company. And he said, I've got this much. And he said, you know, will you do consulting? You know, will you coach me uh, on, on my business? And I said, and so I looked at what he was doing, what he was trying to accomplish. And I'm like, man, you've, you've already got a lot of these skill sets. You don't, you don't need me right now. When you've got money coming into your company, that would be a great time for me to come in and help you uh, help you grow even further from this. It's uh, you already have these skill sets, so no, I'm not going to take your money. Go away. You know, go do these things. You uh, you already have that capacity, and and I was willing to spend uh, like an hour and a half just talking to the guy, and just say, hey, you know, you you already have the skills, you already have the experience. Just believe in yourself enough to get this thing going, and then you can come back and talk to me about whether or not I can help you build your company further. But then he then he also asked some other person, and that person hounded him to pay. So when when the person you're talking to that you hope is going to help you out starts pressuring you to give them money, then they're probably not the right person. Because it, it, ru- it ruins the whole vibe of what you're trying to get, right? Uh, well, you know, there, there's a certain relationship where you're trying to get like formal coaching or formal consulting and stuff. And, and yeah, it's like, okay, if there's a fit, let's, uh, you know, pay for it. And I do, I do coaching for, uh, for businesses and I do consulting work. That's how I get paid. So I'm not going to turn away everyone, but I'm going to turn away the people who aren't uh, at a position where they could get the most from what they would pay me. But there's going to be other people out there who are going to say, Hey, just give me your money. And yeah, things are going to work out great because they're in more need of the money than, um, than they care about your success. So, so you got to be careful of that, but don't take this as a sign of, Hey, don't ever pay. Cause I, uh, like I said, I gave Joe a lot of money on the faith that it was somehow going to, uh, going to pay off in the future. I, I didn't know how, but I, I knew it would because I knew I would do whatever it took to be successful. So there are times when you do need to pay uh, to get access that may come about. The other is when you have a mentor and they try to mold you into them. When all their advice is designed to try to make you be just like them and not the best you can be. That's a bad mentor. So what are some examples of that? Uh, just kind of to give everyone a perspective. Okay. Uh, so, so I had a mentor in, in the past and, and his, his experience was very sales driven. But I really wanted to be in the marketing world. I didn't want to do sales training and stuff like that. Uh, and, and I didn't want to just spend my time doing prospecting and things like that. So I get, he just kept pushing me like, oh no, you need to do this. You know, stop, stop messing around with those books over there and go out and do these things uh, in sales. And I'm like, that's, that's not what I need. Oh, you know, it's like, I, I've got some sales training. I can close a deal. 
I, you've taught me that. I'm very thankful for that. But you're trying to make me into you as a as a sales trainer, as uh, as this you know top closer. You know that that's who you're trying to make me out to be. You're trying to make me you. But that's not what I came to you for. I came to you for the skill set, and so I could use it over here. And and he kept trying to push me away from the side that I was truly passionate about. He was good up until the point where uh, he stopped being good. Because I, I guess that's kind of his domain knowledge. Back then, you know, that's when direct response made so much sense, right? Compared to what he was going for, like the prospecting, really, you know, cold calling. I guess is that what he was going for? Or? Well, yeah, that that was a, a big part of of what he did. You know, that was his thing. You know, and, and a lot of those old school sales guys, that you know, it's it's all about closing, closing arguments and uh, uh, overcoming objections and stuff like that. You know, it's a, like all, all, all sorts of stuff. And it's just like, that's not me. That's not that's not what I'm here for. I need to know how to sell enough to get somebody to who has been just preconditioned. They've seen my marketing. They're already interested and they're already educated on what it is that uh, that I can provide for them. And all I need is the necessary skills to ask for the clothes, you know, ask for the money, right? And you and he gave me that, but he wanted me to go on and be like a, um, a sales uh, a sales trainer just like him. He wanted me to you know, go around speaking on sales and and stuff and it just and that wasn't me. That wasn't my direction. I wanted to do marketing. Mm-hmm. So so I guess the takeaway is to find someone who's done what you've done and then offer your services to them. Uh, to to a certain extent. Uh, so I've I've had that that is really good advice is is to get what you can from from those people the the downside of that is that they're going to want you to be like them okay because and and that's what you're you're hoping for right it sounds like a win-win right you want to be like them so therefore uh, that would be great but what will happen is you'll get advice that is designed to turn you into a clone of them and and you're not you're you're not a clone of them. It's never going to happen. So so get what you can and be of service as much as you can. But when it gets to that stage, and almost all mentorships get to that stage where it, it they're trying to influence your decisions to build a company like theirs, then it's time to then it's time for you to move on so you can continue working on the kind of business you want to work on. That's because it's all about you know building your own journey and path, not. Just doing what someone else tells you to. Right, and and along the way, I've I've met some amazing people, and in industries that I never wanted to get into. This the knowledge that they had was so so amazing. It, it was so effective because uh, when and I, I do this with a lot of people. Like everybody says their business is different, but it isn't. Like the fundamentals of business are the same no matter what industry you're in. And so you can learn from anyone who is successful in any field. And one of the things I learned in in direct response marketing is to look outside your own industry because so many people just look at what other people are doing in their own industry and you know monkey see monkey do so if you look out your outside your own industry outside the things that you want to do you look outside there and see the amazing things that other people are doing and try to incorporate that into your life and that was one of the things that I brought to marketing uh, the direct response marketing world the kind of uh, consulting and coaching I've done is that I can 
I had this ability to take those things that were happening in other industries and turn them into a system that would work in some and in my clients industry. Why? Because I was willing to get mentors outside of the field of marketing, outside the field of sales, outside those fields. I was willing to just go far and wide to get as much knowledge as I possibly could. Yeah, I mean, one thing I realized at least, like the power of direct response, you can really take it to any industry, really, you know, like real estate agents, carpet cleaning, you know. Any, yes. And anything, like fitness supplements, cause, because everyone has basic needs, right? Every, you know, has problems to be fixed and the direct response just kind of is the best way to scale and find these kind of people. Right. That's kind of what I realized. Well, you know, like uh, everybody said, oh, you can't do direct response to luxury items. But then the inter internet comes along. And even before that, they had like special club catalogs. You join the club and, and they would they would essentially market, you know, direct response market you luxury products. Yeah. And it's funny because the internet is fundamentally built upon direct response in essence. Uh, too. In, in the in the early days, because that's what that's what happened was like, direct response guys looked at the internet and they're like, oh crap, you know, I don't have to mail uh, letters. Yeah, I just send emails. <laughs> I can, <laughs> right, I can send emails, I can put up a website that is nothing more than my sales letter and I can make sales online. That's amazing. So a lot of direct response was like pushed on the internet, which was great for the early days of the internet. Uh, but now it's a lot more nuanced, it's a lot more complex because now people have access to tons of information. They can price shop you. They can look at your competitors. They can look at what you're doing. They can read news about you. They can Google you, whatever. They're, they, they're more informed. So that now we're in a part where you still have to do direct response techniques and, and strategies, but you also need to incorporate uh, a certain level of interaction, social interaction with your prospects that didn't really exist before, other th other than when you went out and networked in in the real world, right? Those those were the only times that they they were ever like connected. Yeah, and people are a lot smarter now online too. So. Yeah, I was about to say, you know, okay, I don't know, I don't know about that, <laughs> right? Uh, people are more sophisticated because the tools allow them to find the things that they want easier. But but people have always been that smart. They just have not had the tools to access it. And so in the past, people would use uh, all kinds of manipulation and fraud to take advantage of people. Well, it, you still see it on, on the internet. There's a lot of people who do fraudulent stuff. I keep getting called a guru in the in, in, internet marketing world. And it's like, no, I'm just a consultant. Uh, but I, I, get, I keep getting called this. But you can see these people who try to be gurus in the internet marketing world. Most of them are actually trying to pull, pull one over on their prospects. And that, you know, that's that's something that can be done, but they're so short-lived because people quickly find out who the scammers are really fast because their products suck. Cool. So we've gone over an hour here. I don't want to keep you on too long. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, just to wrap- I'm passionate about this stuff, so uh, I can literally talk about it forever. Yeah, so, seriously. Uh, we got to let your, uh, your listeners, you know, take a breather. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, so let's just wrap things up a little bit. So for someone, you know, who's just starting online, they don't have a mentor yet, you know, what are some final words you can give them, you know, if they're even looking for someone like this? Uh, again, going back to find people that you want to be like, you want to emulate, and be of service to them and actually get it done. Don't be a leech. Don't don't take from them. Just offer 
And and if nothing comes from it, if if they don't reciprocate in any way, no big deal. You still will develop a reputation as someone who gets stuff done. And they, that person may not do something for you, may not mentor you, but I bet you anything when something comes up and they go, oh, you need to go talk to Terry because he gets stuff done. That's the reputation you'll build. So, uh, so you have to go at this with a, a true service mentality and not expect them to reciprocate, you know, to give back to you. You can't. You, you, just, you just offer and it will pay off eventually. Yeah, I think it's like what Joe said on one of his podcasts. It's like you want to be a farmer, not a hunter. Right. right. All right. And so, uh, Tim, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tim Conley, T-I-M-C-O-N-L-E-Y or FoolishAdventure.com. All right. Very cool, Tim. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. All right. Thanks, Terry. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. 